everybody. Good evening. The topic we're going to be talking about tonight is the story behind how Sefer Echa was written. There is a two, one parak really in Tanakh that tells us the story. And it's a fascinating story of how and why, and even most fascinating is when Sefer Echa was written. And there actually is some controversy about that. In the Gemara, there's, a, there's going to be a discussion. And uh, then later, historians and Svarim have a little bit of a confusion ex- exactly about it, which we'll, we'll discuss. But there's a whole parak in Tanakh and Sefer Yirmiya, because Yirmiya is the one who wrote Sefer Echa. He was the one who wrote the Kinnis. It's referred to as Sefer HaKinnis. We have our own Kinnis that we say. Um, but uh, there is, this was Yirmiyo's Kinnis that he wrote. His uh, form of, of, of mourning on the Harbin through, through Sefer Echa. Sefer Echa has five prokim. That has five chapters. And three of the five begin with the word Echa. Chapter number one begins with Eicha, Eicha Yashva Badad. Parak Beis begins with Eicha. And Parak Dalid begins with Eicha. The third Parak does not begin with the word Eicha, but it also has Aleph Beis. So those three Prakim, Aleph Beis and Dalid, all are 22 Psukim each. And first Pasik starts with an Aleph, the second one starts with a Beis, Gimel Dalid, and so on and so forth. They're all on Seder Aleph Beis. The, fourth, the third Parak, which is over there in the middle, is not Eicha, but it's Aleph, Beis, three times over. So it's Aleph, 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 Beis, 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 Gimel, Gimel, Gimel. So there are 66 psukim in the third parak, and Aleph is repeated three times, Beis is repeated three times, and so on and so forth. And then the final parak, parak um, Hey, actually has 22 psukim, which is the same number as the, the, the amount of Aleph, Beis, but it's not written with the order of Alabez. It's not doesn't start with Aleph and Beis and Gimel. It starts actually with the Zayin, Zuchar Hashem Mahayolan. That's what Sefer Eicha is. It's five prokim. And now we're going to learn a little bit about how these five prokim came to be, because it wasn't written all at once, and it was written with a whole uh, a whole drama. Let's, let's learn a little bit about it, and it'll give us much better understanding and what Sefer Eicha is really about. Why we say Sefer Eicha. What message is it trying to give over to us? And it'll give us perhaps a perspective on how to approach the morning on Tishabab and the nine days, which are about to begin. I'm going to do a screen share. Um, we're going to learn through the Psukim, and this is in, in uh, Yermia. Okay. Okay. So this is Parag Lamed Vav in Yermia. I'm not going to do all the psukim. You'll see the numbers over here, so you'll realize when it is that we skip. It was in the fourth year. So let's, let's give a little history over here about the kings who, were, who ruled in, in over Shevet Yehuda immediately preceding, preceding the first Harbin Beis and Mikdash. The last great tzaddik to be a king was Malach Yeshiyahu, Yeshiyahu HaMalach. Yeshiyahu HaMalach was a tremendous tzaddik, and he did great things in getting Klai Yisrael to do tshuva and to bring them back to Hashem. 
And would Yoshiyahu have lived longer? The longer he lived, the longer the Churban was delayed. Because the Churban already had been decreed at that point. Because Menashe, who was Yeshua's grandfather, had done so many averis and had caused Klal Yisrael to serve of Adizara and to Ritzicha, the, the Gimel Averis that we're familiar with, which are the reason that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because of Shrikh's and murder, because of Avedizara, because of Gil Arayis, during the, the span of Menashe, which was a very long span, he ruled for 55 years, he, those things went out of control. And at that point, the Kharbin was decreed. Yet, it was de- delayed, as Klai Yisrael did tshuva, and if there was a king that was a tzaddik, that longer they had that, then the Kharbin was pushed off. So as long as Yeshua was king, the Kharbin would have been delayed. But then the tremendous tragedy happened. He was killed. He was killed because he didn't listen to the Navi Yirmiya. Yirmiya had told him not to wage war against the Egyptians. The Trine was taking passage through. They weren't even coming to make war on Klai Yisrael, but they were just passing through Eretz Yisrael, but they were trespassing. They were coming without permission. And Yeshua had understood that it's his obligation to prevent them. And Yirmiyahu and Navi told him Hashem doesn't want him to, but he went anyway. And he died in that war. And it was a tremendous tragedy. He was young. And at that point, it was downhill. And one of the Prakim in Eicha, and this is important, is actually dedicated. Yermiyahu wrote it, dedicated to the death of Yeshua HaMelech. It's the fourth parak. Eicha Yuam Zav is all about Yishna Kesem It's all about the death of Yeshua, how he died, and how that really was the catalyst for then the Kharbin to actually begin. Yehoiakim then took over from Yeshio. He was the son of Yeshio, and he was a king. And at that point, Nebuchadnezzar came into power. And Yerushalayim basically became a vassal of Nebuchadnezzar, but then Yehoiakim rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And he was put to death by Nebuchadnezzar, and he was put to death in a very um, humiliating way, and his body was just thrown out on the side of the road. He wasn't even buried. And the reason for that we'll actually be learning about in this parrot. So that's what happened to Yehoiakim. After Yehoiakim, Yehoiakim's son took over. His name was Yehoiakim. So a little, a little easy to confuse because they sound the same. Yehoiakim was the son of Yeshio. Yehoiakim, grandson of Yeshio, he took over. He was a king for three months, and then he went was taken into Golos with a large portion of the Jews. Not everybody. This is called Golos Yehoiakim. This was the first step towards the carbon. But uh, um, Nebuchadnezzar hadn't yet made the decision to totally destroy the Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, he wanted to give them a second chance. So he took Yehoiachan into Galas, he took many of the leaders and the elite of Klal Yisrael, including many, Talmud HaChamim, Daniel, Hanani Mishal, Azariah, Mordechai Tzadik, went into Galas together. Okay, I think we're still we're back on. Uh, went into Galus together with um, Yahayachin. And at that point, he installed a new king, and that king was Tzedkiyo HaMalach, who was the final king of, uh, of Klai Yisrael. Eleven years later, he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar killed him and destroyed the whole base of Mikdash, and that's when the Kharbin happened. So we're holding now Yahayachin, which was the first step, the first king after, after Yahshio HaMalach. And now the thing about Yahayakim and Yechanya, uh, Yechanya, who was the son, Yahayakim, who was the son of, um, of, of Yahayakim, is that they were a shayim. Chazal say that the Mel- those two kings 
who took over from Yeshua, the kings were Rishayim, but their advisors, the, the noblemen, the Sarim, and the nation were Tzadikim. But then the next step, after they were taken away, and after all the Kharash and the Mask, all those Tamid Chamam Tzadikim were removed, and by in that Galus, the first Galus, then Tzidkiyo was installed, and Chazal say that was the opposite. Tzidkiyo was a Tzadik, but his, surround, his, his uh, advisors and the people around him were Rishayim. And we're going to actually see that demonstrated in these psukim that we're about to learn. So let's go back here to Perik Alamit uh, Vav. And uh, let's see what's going on here. So it was in the fourth year of Yehoyakim and Yehoshio Malchi Yehuda, the reign of Yehoyakim, son of Yehoshio Malchi Yehuda. So Yehoshio got this commandment from Hashem. Take a Megillah Sefer, parchment, and write everything that I'm going to tell you. Both you'll be saying a Nevuah, prophecy about what's going to happen to Yisrael, what's going to happen to Yehuda, which was Shevet Yehuda and Binyamin, and all the nations. Because in Eicha, it talks about all of them. It talks about the Galus, it talks about the redemption, it also talks about what's going to happen to the nations. They're going to eventually be paid back for what they did to us. From the day that I've spoken to you, because Yermio became a Navi during the reign of Yeshio, we're going to all, all, everything is going to be encapsulated in Megillah Eicha. Ula Yishmu Beis Yehuda, this is a very important Pasik. Hashem tells him, write this down. Why? Ula Yishmu Beis Yehuda, because maybe, maybe they'll listen. They'll hear all the evil, all the punishment that I'm planning on bringing upon them, right? Because Eicha tells us about all the destruction, etc., etc., psukim after psukim of the destruction that happened during the Harb Mesa Mikdash. Maybe they'll hear it, and it didn't happen yet, remember. Um, so they'll do tshuva, and I'll forgive them. So there was still hope. Even at this point, even though the Kharbin was Nigzar, even though Nebuchadnezzar was already in full power, yet there was hope. And would they have listened to Yermiyahu and they would have taken Sefer Eichet to heart? The Kharbin would have been delayed, perhaps indefinitely. Now, he wrote it, and uh, I skipped a couple of psukim over here, but what happened is, is that Yermiyahu told his Talmud he told his Talmud, his Talmud's name was Baruch ben Neria, and he told his Talmud to write it. Why didn't he himself write it? If Hashem told him to write it, why did he tell his Talmud, Baruch ben Neria, to write it? There's a fascinating sefer, um, it's called Marpe Lashen. It's written by Rav, Meir, Rav Moshe David Bali, who was a Talmud, I believe. He was a Talmud of the, of the Ramchal, he was a Talmud of the Ramchal. So he wrote a sefer on Tanakh, and over there he explains very interestingly. He said that the, the, the Medrash says that a person can appoint a shliach, he can appoint a proxy, and it's as if he himself did it. But why? Why would Yirmiya do that? Why wouldn't he write it himself? So he said that Yirmiya's name is Merames, the destruction of Kai Yisrael, the end. Um, whereas, I guess, Lashon of Yorum, like, they're lifted away, they're going to lose it, whereas Baruch had a blessed name, Baruch, and Neria, his father's name, also was Light, and Hashem's name, Ka. 
So he felt that having Baruch write it would be a better, bring more better hashpoyas, and had the bigger ability that good should come out of it. So that's why he had Baruch Benaria, his Talmud, write it rather than him. And then he also had Baruch Benaria be the one to read it, because that's what Hashem wanted him to do. Hashem wanted him to read it, Ula Yishmu Beisihuda, because maybe everybody will listen when you read Eichel and they'll do tshuva. But look how long it took until Baruch Benaria was able to do this, right? Remember, I have it underlined here, but he was under this commandment was given to Yermio in the fourth year, but it took till the fifth year of Yayakum and in the ninth month, which is Chaydish Kislev, so middle of the winter. That's when they actually read it. Why? And the Pasik basically explains. Because Karut Saim Lufne Hashem, they made a fast, they called a fast day in front of Hashem in the base of Mikdash. The whole nation in Yerushalayim, and all the nations who came from the surrounding cities, Yerushalayim, to go to Yerushalayim. They called a fast day. Now, as we know, there's no fast in Kislev, right? We have enough fast as it is. There's Shivas of Tamas, that's in uh, Tamas. There's Av, there's uh, Adar, and there's uh, Tishrei, Tzem Gedalia, and then there's Tevis. But there's none in Kislev. So this, was a, this was a temporary fast. This was a fast made because of the situation. The Vuchanetzar was... Uh, well, it was poised to attack Yerushalayim and they were vassals. So they made a fast day to do tshuva, ostensibly. So something was going on here. Something was right here. So they called this fast day. And when they called this fast day, I don't know how, if the king himself participated. Not clear. Again, like I said, Hazal say that the generation of Yahayakim, they were tzaddikim. The Kharaj, all these tzaddikim, they were still there in Yerushalayim. They were tzaddikim. And they seems that they were the ones who called this fast day. And we're going to see soon I don't know how much Yehiyakim was participating in this fast day. So they called, they called the fast day and they all came. Because this was the auspicious time to be able to read the Sefer Kinnis with hope that maybe someone will listen and it will go into people's hearts. And Rav, uh, Rav Moshe David Vali, again the Talmud of the Ramchal, he explains that they didn't need that everybody should do tshuva. Fascinating, he writes. He says even if some people would have heard and been desired, even if some people would have undertaken to do tshuva, he says the miyad would have been machria the rov. The, min, the, the minority of people could have overwhelmed the majority, and them doing tshuva would have been enough to delay the harbin. A very important message for us. For us, you know, we think, who are we? We're just a few people. It doesn't work that way in Shemayim. Hashem sends out a message. He wants people to hear. As long as some people hear it, it's enough to hold off the decree. It's enough to hold off the gezerah. So Vayikra Baruch Basefer Pasuk Yud Vayikra Baruch Basefer is Divrei Yirmiyoh Beis Hashem. He he read from this Sefer, this Sefer Echa, the words of Yirmiyoh in the house of Hashem in the Beis Hamikdash. Belishkas Gemariyob and Shafan Hasefer. So there was a room that was named after this Gemariyob and Shafan. He was a, one of the noblemen. He was a Sefer. He was the secretary of the king. Bachater Ha'Elyon in the upper courtyard Pesach Shara Beis Hashem, which was a, an opening to the Beis Hamikdash, a Chodesh, a new opening. Baz Kalam. So there was this room. It was a, like the social hall of sorts. That was like Mariob and Shafan social social hall, and that's where they gathered, and that's where he read Sefer Kinnis for the very first time in history. Basically, a year after it had been written. So I'm skipping a couple of psukim here. And what happened was that the son of this Gemariyo ben Shafan, whose name was Michiyahu, heard him. And he got very, very scared. He heard what it says in Eichel, he heard what's going to happen. He got shaken up. So he ran to the other noblemen who were gathered in a different place and he told them what was written. And he said, They told him, Come bring Baruch here, summon him. We want to hear it firsthand. So he did. And the, the, the Sarim, 
they told him, Shevna, sit, Ukraina Baznenu, and read it in our, our ears. And our, uh, again, Moshe David Bali explains, they told him to sit because he was saying a Nebuah. And when so, a Nebuah is said, the Navi sits and everybody else stands. That's the respect you have to show to a Nebuah. So they told him to sit and read it in our ears, Ve'ikra Baruch name, and, and Baruch read it to them. By he, now look at this passage, I bolded it because it's very important. By he, when they heard what happened, they heard the Psukim of Eicha, they heard what's going to happen. They were frightened one to another, which means they, they all talked about it and they became exceedingly frightened. They took the words to heart. We have to tell the king what you wrote here. So again, the king, he wasn't in the base of Mikdash. He didn't hear this, right? He hadn't attended. But uh, he would know about this. So, so we have to tell him. We're going to have to let him know. And the way, again, the Psukum HaMashim is that they were a little scared to do that. And rightfully so, as we'll see. Because he was a Russia, and he wasn't going to take well to this. So they were extraordinarily scared. So they took his message to heart. They took Yermiyah and Avi's message to heart. But see what happened next. There's Baruch Shaolu Lamar. So they asked Baruch a very interesting question. Please tell us. How did you write this from Yermio's mouth? So what, what are the, well, what's the question? He said it. I wrote it. Like, well, what's so complicated? What do they want to know? What they wanted to know, again, this, this is explained by Rav Vali and by others as well, that what, what, what happened over here? Was Yermio saying a Nebuah? Were you transcribing a nevuah, which basically what happened to Sefer Eicha is that it turned into kasuvim because it was given by Hashem to be written. That's what kasuvim are. Where the nevuahs that Hashem gave, or the Ruach HaKadosh Hashem gave to people to write something down. So they want to know, is that what happened here? Or was Yermio just giving Musr because he wants us to do tshuva? So then it's Yermio's Musr, okay, you know, we take it seriously. But it's not the same, like this is a direct Nebuah message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I read from his mouth, I heard these words, and I wrote it on the Sefer B'joy. Again, he explains that he wrote it. He was explaining to them that I had to write it on a Sefer with joy, which we learn out that these are halachis, how you write Sefer Kinnis and how you write a Megillus Esther, how you write anything that has to have a Kedusha, anything that's part of Kisve Kodesh, anything that's part of Tanakh. He was explaining to them this was a Nevuah, and I had to write it, and to write it properly and halachically correctly, because this was a Nevuah directly from Hashem. So they wanted to bring this to the king, but they knew what was going to happen next. So the Saram told Baruch, go and hide. Go hide, because this is not going to have a good ending. So we're going to bring it to the king, but make sure you're protected. No one should know where you are. They came to the king's courtyard, and they didn't even bring the Megillah with them. If Kidu Belishkas Elishama Hasaifer, so they put it in the hands of Elishama Hasaifer, who again, according to the Marpe Lashen, was a big tzaddik and wouldn't be scared to read it in front of the king. He would have the nerve and the courage to read it in front of the king. So first they told the king what had happened. So he heard it. So he wanted to hear it also firsthand. So he had a servant whose name was Yehudi. Nice name. He sent uh, the king sent Yehudi. To get the Megillah, and he got it from the from the the, the, the room of the Shama Sefer. And Yehudi read it into the ears of the king. And all the Sarim who were there, who were standing next to the king. 
and the king was sitting in his winter room, it was in Kislev, it was cold, and his fireplace was burning in front of him, which is relevant, as we'll see in a moment. I'll get this passage. So Adeles is an uh, interesting Hebrew term. It means a line of poetry. Uh, I forgot, there's a word for it in English as well. But in any case, it's a line of poetry. So he read three lines, which means he read the first three psukim. And then he read the fourth pasik. Um, then he tore, he cut it with a, uh, a knife that Seifram used. So they had a knife, they used to use a knife. Seifram still today used knives to erase. So they cut it with this, uh, the Tara Seifer. And he threw it into the fire, that was burning in his fireplace. Until he tore up the whole Megillah and burnt the whole thing up in the fire. So the king not only rejected the message, he, you, he, he did a tremendous Avera, actually, because there are a lot of shame. There are many, Hashem's name is mentioned many times in Megillah's Eicha. So he was, first of all, burning Hashem's name. And uh, he was doing a tremendous bizarre and chutzpah to the nevuah, which was directly from Hashem, directed at him. And he wasn't repenting. So this was wrong on all accounts. And he burnt it up. It's interesting. It's, what did he expect to accomplish by burning it up? Maybe he's making a statement. But generally, there's something more important about it than that. It's not just, you know, it was the chutzpah, but it was something he was trying to accomplish. Also, it took apparently three or four psukim to, for him to get all worked up. And we'll see the Gemara explains why. But look at the next Pasuk 2. Um, the Lepachadu Lekaras Bigdayim, the Sarim, right? These people who before, when they heard the Megillah, they were scared, they were frightened, and they, 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 they took it to heart, but suddenly he takes it and he burns it up and he throws it into the fire, and they weren't scared. Lekaras Bigdayim, they didn't tear the clothing. The Gemara says they should have torn the clothing, because when you see Hashem's name getting burnt up, you're obligated to tear your clothing. But they didn't. They were not impressed. What happened? All the servants who heard this, they didn't. Now there were some tzaddikim there. Gam el Nasan with that same Gemariyahu. They begged the king. They understood this is not going to have a good ending, and they begged him, "Don't burn up the Megillah of Aleihem." And he did not listen to them. He's, he, he commanded three of his servants. He wanted to capture them and imprison them, or who knows what. And Hashem hid them and they were protected. So we're going to go soon to see what happens next. But before we go to see what happens next in the Pasuk, so let's see, let's try to understand these psukim. Again, he read a few psukim, and some reason after four psukim, that's when he got angry, that's when he burnt it. And he was trying to accomplish something by burning it. And then when he burnt it, for some reason, the people around him were not scared anymore. Let's see a Gemara in Mayat Katan that will answer some of this. Here's a Gemara in Mayat Katan. Let's learn a little bit of a Gemara. Sholosh Dolasois Va'arba, he read two psuk, three psukim, and then four. Va'ikro'eha betar ha'soifer, and they tore it up with the knife of a soifer. Va'hashloch elo eisha sha'aloch, and they threw it into the fire that was on the fireplace. So the Gemara says, my sholosh dolasois va'arba, what were the three or four psukim? So Amrulali ha'yakuim, they told ya'yakuim, cause of Yermia sefer kinnis, Yermia wrote a sefer kinnis, wrote a sefer echa. Amrulahu, so he told them, Maxivate, no problem, what does it say? 
So that's when they started reading the Psukim. They called Yehudi and they started reading the Psukim. So it reads the first Pasik. Eichel Yashva Badad. How could Kla Yisrael sit alone? Ira Basiyam, you're such a great nation, and now they're alone. So Amrullah, he told them, okay. Okay, okay, it's punishment, but I'm not Malka. As far as I'm concerned, I'm still going to be the king. I'll rule or whatever. Whoever's left in Yerushalayim, I'll rule over them. Armalahu lay, they told him, okay, next Pasik. Pasik 2. Where they're going to cry. He said, no problem. I'm not Malka. Still going to be king. Third Pasik. Pasik Gimel. Golsa Yehuda Me'aini. Yehuda is going to go into Golos because of the, their, their poverty. He said, fine, but I know Malachi, I'm going to be the king, and kings generally don't suffer from poverty. I'm going to be okay. It's not going to affect me. Very, very self-centered, uh, seemingly. Pasik Dalad, this is the fourth Pasik, and this is where he's going to about to lose patience. Darachet Tzian Avelas, the rose of Tzian are going to be Avelas. They're going to mourn, don't believe by my No one's going to come anymore. Still, I know Malka. I'm going to be the king. He's still okay with it. Then when they hit Pasik, hey, as soon as they finished four psukim, they hit Pasuk hey, that's when he had a problem. Why? Because Pasuk hey begins, The enemies are going to be king. The enemies are going to take over. The is going to be ruling. Wait a second. I'm not going to be king? Who, who said this, Megillah? Who, who does, did you ever make this up? No. Hashem is the one that's giving this nebuah. Hashem is the one who's saying this. He gave them this punishment because of their averis. So what did he do? Miyad Kodar Kolas Karashaba. He tore out, Kodar means he tore out like a box, he boxed out every single Shema Shem in Megillah Zechen. Again, there are many. He cut out all of them with Sarfam Be'esh, and he burnt them in a fire. That's the next passage. They didn't fear, they, were, they weren't trembling. Well, cars began, they didn't tear their clothing. They should have tore their clothing. So why did he wait for Psukim? He was waiting to hear that part of the punishment was directed directly at him, that he is going to be punished. When he heard he is going to be punished, he said, now, now we're going to tear it apart. So what was he trying to accomplish by tearing it apart? And like, so, so ignore it, ignore it. You know, what, 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 why do you want to tear it apart? And why did everybody suddenly not get scared? It seems, and as sort of Shimshim Pinkus explains this, others, it seems that, that, um, they thought it actually will change something. Burning up the Megillah, they believed will change something, and they weren't so far off, because what we're going to see is Hashem told Yermio to write another Megillah. And it was necessary to write another Megillah with a new commandment from Hashem, because they burnt up this Megillah. And it's a fascinating thing, and this is going to underscore how we need to understand what Megillah's Eicha really is. Megillah's Eicha, was the carbon in the safer? It was the carbon in the safer. It was this, the carbon being actualized by Hashem's word in Sefer Kinnis, in Sefer Echa. And if you look at the way Echa is written, it's written past tense. Echa Yashva Badad, how could she sit alone? Ha'ira Basiyam, Golsa Yehudi Me'aini. They're all past tense. But one second, it didn't happen yet. You know how long it was till the Harbin happened? It was another 15 years about, or more even. I'm not to figure out exactly, but at least 15 years from this point until the Harbin happened. This was 15 years before the Harbin. And it's written past tense. Why is it written past tense? It was a futuristic document, but it wasn't just a futuristic document. It was the future. Echa 
was the carbon based amygdala. But it had it could have done something. It could have had been a carbon and been limited to say for Echa. Would everybody have taken it to heart? Would everybody have been this error? Would they have done chuva? Would they have changed because of it? So then the carbon would have remained in Sefer Echa. It would have remained the past tense carbon. As if Hashem would have brought the carbon by putting it into Sefer Echa. And, and Rav Moshe David Vali in Sefer Mar Pilashan explains this as well. And he goes into this with many Kabbalistic concepts. How there is such a, a concept that the Einish the, the, the has to take place. It has to be spelled out. It has to have a, has to have a form in this world because of the Midas Adin. The Midas Adin demands. They did so many Averis. How could nothing be done about it? So all their ancient were spoken out and written out and they took a physical form in Sefer Eicha. And would Klai Yisrael have done something about it? It would have been enough. So he burnt it up. And he thought, you know what? I have a better idea. Instead of doing tshuva, I'll destroy it. And this way, I'll avert the carbon. Brilliant idea. And they believed it was going to help. They said, wow, brilliant. This is going to save us. Now the carbon is not going to happen, except for the tzaddikim, who this is, that's not the way this is going to play out. Because, of course, Hashem commanded Yermio to write another one, as we'll see in a moment. But this was, the, this was his thought process. And What's fascinating about it, which also we're going to speak about a little bit more in a moment, is that that's what Sefer Eicha is to us also. Sefer Eicha is before the Charbon, for us too. That's what it's meant to be. Which means if we take Sefer Eicha to heart, then the Charbon doesn't happen, or in our terms, Mashiach comes. Every time we read Sefer Eicha, we're reading it as it was written, which is 15 years before the Kharbin. And it's a prophecy of the pro- probability of the Kharbin, of the potential of the Kharbin, but also of the potential we have to take those words to heart and thereby avert the Kharbin. That's what Sefer Eicha really is. Now look what happens next. So Hashem spoke to Yermio after the king birthed the Megillah of Asadvarim. That Baruch wrote from the words of Yermio. Go take another Megillah. Write everything that you had on that first Megillah. That Yahayakum burnt up. And tell Yahayakum, this is what Hashem said. You burnt up this Megillah Lamar is trying to say, Why did you write on us saying, That is going to come, and is going to destroy the land, and he's going to remove all the people and animals? This is what Hashem said about David. He won't have anybody permanent sitting on his seat afterwards. His son. It was only three months. And his body will be set, uh, thrown out onto the street to be burned by day and to be frozen by night, which is what happened to him. And I will bring upon him, on his children, on his, his servants, as all the evil, and they didn't listen to him. 
Now, Yermio Lokach Megillah Yermio took another Megillah. Vayitna, again, once again, Al Baruch Ben Erio, a cipher. He gave it to Baruch Ben Erio, who was his cipher. And he wrote in, in the, from Yermio's mouth all the words of the original Sefer Asher Sarap, Yaakov Malach Yehuda Be'esh, that Yaakov burnt in fire. He wrote more. He wrote Dvarim Rabim, many things. Kohema is similar to what was written earlier. What does that mean? So, as we explained earlier, that Echa is five prokim. Three of them. Number one, number two, and number four begin with the word Echa. Those were the original three prokim of Echa that were written by Yermio in the first, uh, first round. That's a Rashi. Rashi explains that in the beginning of Echa and here as well. First, when Hashem commanded him, he wrote Echa Yashva Badad, the second parak, which begins with Echa, and Echa Yuam Zav, which is the fourth parak. He wrote those three psukim. Yahyakim took it, burnt it off. Now Hashem commanded him, write them again, and he did. But he inserted two other prokim. He inserted Perik Gimel, and I don't know, it's not clear exactly why, but he put that in between. And that doesn't begin with Eicha, but it's Dvarm Rabim Kehema, which means it's equal to the first time. The first time there was Eicha, 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 22 psukim each Perik, Aleph Bey is three times over. The third parak, which he added now, where Dvarm Rabim Kehema was three times Aleph Bey's within one parak. Kohema equals what was written originally. He equalized it now by writing another parak, which was three times Aleph Bey's, Aniya Gever, three times Aleph, 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 Bey's, Bey's, Bey's. And then he also finished with the final parak as well. That's not mentioned over here in the Pasuk, and that's another discussion why not, but that's what it means. Why did he add this extra parak? What was the point of adding this extra parak? So the Maral in Nesach Yisrael says that the first three pro- the prokem that he wrote were because of the carbon bias reason, and they were because of the three principal averis that were the reason for the destruction of bias reason. Gilei Arayas, Avedazara, and Shvichas Damim. They did three averis. They sinned with women. They were uh, they were over on Avedazara. And they killed, they, they killed people unjustly. They brought people to death. Or they did a virus that were, that were equivalent to killing people, like stealing from poor people, and etc. All the things that went on there during the reign of Menashe. So those were those three prokim. Each parak was designed to strike fear in the hearts of Israel and get them to repent on one of those three averis. This additional parak, which is equivalent to those three, was written for the Charben Bayez Shani, some four or five centuries hence. Five centuries hence. It's not going to happen for another 500 years. Yermio wrote already that these three prokim directed specifically towards Bayesheni. Why was Bayesheni destroyed? We know because of Sinas Chinam. And Sinas Chinam, the Maral says, is equivalent. It's equivalent to those three Averis. It's as destructive as those three Averis. So that's why it's all one peric, but it has the same volume as the other prokem. It's three prokem all squeezed in one because it's one sin of sinas chinam that's causing all that trouble and it's equivalent to those three averis. Meshachachma explains that we have different ways of connecting to Hashem. We can connect to Hashem directly. There's mitzvahs ben adam lamakam. So those mitzvahs are represented by the Zara as one way of cutting ties with Hashem. There's shvichas damim, another way of cutting ties with Hashem. There's gile arayis. Then we can connect to Hashem through we connect Hashem through achtos, through coming together. And that's what the, the connection we destroyed in Bayez Sheni, by Sinas Chinam. I'm saying it very bekitzer, but that's the concept that he brings out. So that's what the Sefer, Yirmiya, Sefer Eicha is all about. It's three prokim 
Aleph, Beis, and Dalet dedicated towards the Averis that destroyed Bayes Rishon, and one parak, which is Parak Gimel, which has the Aleph, Beis, and Triplicate, that's dedicated towards the Averis and Aschinam, which is equivalent to those three, that destroyed Bayes Sheni. And all of them were written way before Harbin Rishon and way before Harbin Bayes Sheni. And they all were the Harbin encapsulated. And Sefer Eicha is there that we should read it and take it to heart and do tshuva, and even if a minority of people do tshuva, even if a minority of people are desired from it, it can have that effect that the Chorban will remain in Sefer Eicha, it'll be Niskayim in Sefer Eicha. And also the Marpilashan Rabbi Shadavavali explains that it was burnt up, the first version, and then it was rewritten. He says it was had the holiness of the Luchais, that the Luchais, HaKadosh Baruch who wrote them, and then they were destroyed, and then they were rewritten. The message is as important as the message of the Luchas, and it is as powerful as the Luchas, and as as eternal as the Luchas. It's a it's a living message, and it's a living message today as well. It's predicting a carbon. It's not talking about a past tense carbon the same way. Then it was predicting a carbon, even though it's written in past tense. When we read Sefer Eicha, we're predicting a carbon, and we're meant to read it and prevent that carbon from happening, which is a fascinating, fascinating concept. I want to share with you, and we'll close with this, a thought that Rabbi Yashif said, and it gives us a good idea of what is the Musr of Sefer Eicha, and what is the Musr that we're supposed to be taking to heart in over Tishabah. What should we focus on? Rabbi Yashif says you would think that when we have these fast days, the point is, is that the Averis that caused the Harbin were Averis that came from people being excessive, people being too involved in Gashmias, too much in Olam Hazeh, forgetting about Hashem, partying, getting drunk, losing sight of Hashem, Gaiva, those were the Averis that destroyed the Beis HaMikdash. Rabbi Yashif says, no, he says, that's not it. He says, look at the very first Chait, the very first sin that was the catalyst for all the future Harbins. That was the Chait of the Miraglim. The Chait of the Miraglim, Claudius all cried that night, were they partying? Were they drinking? Were they happy? On the contrary, they were very sad. What, was, what caused it? It was their lack of faith in their own potential. It was their lack of faith in the fact that they're a nation of Hashem. It was their lack of bitachin, that they, that they had the Torah, and when we're Am Hashem, we're invincible. When we're Am Hashem, when we keep the Torah, we're going to be above and beyond every nation of the world. We'll, we will rule. And no one will be able to. One of us can run after a thousand, and a hundred can run after ten thousand. So we will be we inhumanly powerful and successful. All the brachas that there are in the Torah, if we keep the Torah, Kali Yisrael just didn't believe it. They didn't believe in our own potential. That's what we didn't believe in. And he says every carbon was that. The Harbin of Bayes Rishon was Klal Yisrael losing their faith in their own ability, in their own greatness, in the greatness of the Torah. That's what it was. That's where it took place. And, and he says what we need to mourn is that, specifically, that we don't value our Torah. We don't value our mitzvahs. We don't value, value our own Avedis Hashem enough. And if we would, and if we would have faith in it, and we would be talking in Hashem, Look what heights we would climb to. And that is the tshuva Hashem is looking for. That's the godless that Hashem wants to see within us. He says, Chazal say, 
famous Gemara that the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. The first Beis Hamikdash was destroyed because they didn't say Birchas Atayr. They didn't make the bracha on the Torah. So many Mfarshim already asked, what is this supposed to mean? And he says, what it means is basically what the Rishonim explained is that they just didn't. They lost value in the Torah. They didn't see a reason to make a bracha on it. They learned it. It was a science. It was a, it was a, a, it was wisdom. But they didn't see it as something godly. They didn't see it as something way above and beyond anything on this earth that you should make a bracha because of the schos, because of the merit we have to learn Torah. And he says, that's what brought about the destruction and that's what's bringing about the destruction now as well. So we'll close with that. That message is really more here. I wanted to go the next parrot, which talks about the next king and just demonstrates how he was a Russia and his, uh, the people around, he was a tzaddik and the people around him were, were, were Rashaim. But... Regardless, the message here is, is that the Sefer Eicha was written prior to the Harbin, and it's still prior to the Harbin. The Sefer Eicha, when we read it, we're reading it as a Sefer written prior to a destruction. If we were to take the message to heart that Klai Yisrael is tremendously great, and would Klai Yisrael have appreciated their greatness, would we appreciate our greatness? Take that message to heart. We can avert Be'ez HaShem Yisbarach, any coming Harbin, and we should be Zecha with this and with this Tisha we shouldn't sit on the floor, but rather we should rejoice in your Shalai Merka chain of Meher Have a good night.